0: Well, hi everyone, welcome to the genetics segment. I'm super excited to be interviewing with uh, Lavana Sani, the CEO of Naligenics. Lavana, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Uh,
0: before we jump into this thing, uh, to give the context of the background of how we came to this interview, we've looked at well over 200 genetic startups globally. Uh, one of the things that really stood out to us was uh, Naligenetics. Uh, they have a really a different approach compared to most companies within this category, which is why we wanted to showcase them as one of the top startups within this category. So before we even get into the product details, Lavana, you provided us with a, a short video that uh, gives the audience at least a baseline of understanding of what knowledge and ethics is doing. So we'll jump into that and then we'll go into questions. Yeah? Sure.
2: Great. Welcome to Knowledge Genetics, your partner in making better health decisions with genetics. Did you know that your medications may sometimes cause you harm? There's a 50-50 chance that your prescription can be improved. Take for example here, Tommy. He suffers from high cholesterol and is currently taking medications to manage his cholesterol levels. After a while, he started experiencing muscle pain. He decided to visit the doctors again. Lucky for him, his doctors are partnered with Knowledge Genetics. Tommy's doctors are therefore equipped with personalized care. Tommy's doctor recommends taking a pharmacogenomics test to choose as an alternative therapy. As it turns out, his genes are incompatible with his current drugs, which helps explain his muscle pain. Our pharmacogenomics test is safe, accurate, and effective. Taking the test is as easy as one, two, three. One, consult with your doctor. Two, fill up the order form to share your medical history. Three, collect your sample with a buccal swab, and our team will pick it up and take care of the rest. After the sample is analyzed, a personalized report will be generated. Our report includes more than 100 drug interactions and many more. It will tell you the five actions to recommend with your medicine. To follow dose, increase the dose, decrease the dose, increase monitoring, and changing your prescription completely. To access even more drug interactions, access your report in our app. There, you can also set medicine timers. Report any adverse drug reactions. And chat with your physician in the comfort of your phone. Everyone's DNA is unique. Your prescription should be too. Start your personal medicine journey with us.
0: Awesome. So, uh, Lavana, before we jump into details about the product itself, I'm curious because I think you guys have a really interesting backstory about how and why you started this company. Yeah. Could you share the details?
1: Of course. Um, so Nala Genetics didn't start out um, w- wanting to create a genetics company necessarily. We uh, we were a spin-off of Genome Institute of Singapore. And at the time, I was working uh, with the human genetics group there who, which uh, has found a biomarker for predicting Dapsone hypersensitivity syndrome, which is a type of injury that um, people who are taking this drug called Dapsone may get. Um, if they take Dapsone um, um, and have this biomarker or genetic biomarker, Um, called HLA B1301. So the group that I was working with at the time um, discovered this biomarker with some Chinese collaborators and uh, we really wanted to validate this biomarker in Indonesian population. I myself is Indonesian, uh, my co-founder is Indonesian, so we thought it was an interesting project at the time. So we created a prototype um, that worked on dried blood samples created the, the genetic testing kit, found a collaborator, a great collaborator in Bankas or the National kind of Research Institute of Indonesia and deployed the solution there. We needed a place to kind of collaborate or an in, uh, I guess like an entity to collaborate with the government. So we created knowledge genetics because of that. Um, the pro- The project went so much better than we expected. Um, such that to this point, I think the collaborator right now is drafting a, a basically somewhat of a regulation for the uh, healthcare insurance uh, scheme to actually cover this test for, you know, uh, people with leprosy um, in 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 um, eastern Indonesia, and so um, we we were able to kind of show that the biomarker was present in twenty percent of. Uh, Indonesian population, which is very high, and it could save thousands of lives every year because of the injuries caused by drug uh, that is supposed to save their lives. And so um, this type of story was um, life saving, of course, for the patients, but also this idea that it ended up being cost saving from the government perspective or the payer. Um, and I think in the U.S. and many other markets as well, um, cost effectiveness becomes like one of the major issues for payer systems or how technologies got adopted. But it traditionally wasn't a, um, I guess, for um, uh, traditionally, I guess in the genetic space at the time, a lot of things were being um, marketed as direct to consumer. And so the approach that we, um, we, were, we were looking at this product is that uh, we wanted genetic testing to be um, available and accessible to as many people as possible. And so that's why it was very important for us to actually work with payer systems to be able to see the cost effectiveness of such an approach. Um, and, and, and finally, we'll be able to kind of scale the solutions moving forward. So Nala Genetics ever since that project looks at biomarkers and uh, that, that we think are important to be implemented in the clinical sphere today. Uh, but also work with partners to show efficacy and, and cost effectiveness towards that um, sort of um, uh, uh, payer cycle that we wanted to do to achieve scale.
0: Awesome, well, and, and it's actually, it's an interesting approach because the, the service that you're offering is, is really just an end-to-end solution that gives a lot of users actual information about the drugs that they should be taking based on the genetics. Right. Why did you take this approach of matching DNA with impacts on drug use? This is—it seems very—it's quite niche in some sense.
1: Yeah. Um, so within genetics, I think uh, genetic testing has um, caught on. Um, not not. I, I think technology-wise, everyone knows it has arrived. You know, everyone saw the graph of how it's like, you know, like super, super low these days, like compared to like the ten billion dollars that at first um, was was uh, to sequence the first person. So um, I think I think what's important to when we learned about the market and what genetic testing, uh, how genetic testing got implemented in m- multiple markets is very driven by use cases. So in China, it was NIPT it took the took the market by storm. And the story there was that, you know, you really wanted to know if your your kid is going to be a boy or a girl and an IPT can actually give that indication ahead of time compared to the normal pregnancy tests, right? Which is not a traditional use case for what an IPT is supposed to be useful for, but um, it was important culturally. In the U.S., 23andMe was able to kind of drive that Adoption forward, especially in the mass population with, um, you know, ancestry, which is, uh, you know, strong emotionally and culturally as well. I think like um, once we figure that out that, you know, uh, betting on a use case is important and in can uh, and being very good in a certain category pays off. Um, initially, at least for for a a young startup like ours. I think um, the question for Nala Genetics was then, well, we're not just going to open a lab and just try to um, give sequencing services to anybody. The question becomes, well, what do we want to be really good at within genetics and the use cases? And how do we kind of drive the adoption for that particular use case as much as we can. And so, um, like you mentioned, knowledge genetics doesn't doesn't only do genetic testing for that particular product, uh, for that particular use case, I mean, which is drug response, but we also make clinical decision support for doctors because we um, kind of realize that, okay, these biomarkers have been around for forever, but they're not being used because they don't know which drugs are supposed to be tested for it or they don't know what to do after getting a read of that biomarker. So the clinical decision support was important. And then we also have a patient management um, support or or a health manager because uh, we understood that when a patient were given a different recommendation for a certain drug, they sometimes don't follow it because they don't, they're not aware of why they need to be different than their peers sometimes they need to take a higher dose or uh, change a different, different like drug class completely and um, you know it it, it, it kind of takes a while for them to kind of understand, okay, this is because of my genetics and it's personalized for me so that that that's why the end-to-end and in terms of the the use case and why we focused on that it was because we kind of, uh, looked into, you know, how, how the technology was kind of really adopted by the people. It was, it was driven by use cases rather than the blind faith that the technology has arrived and <laughs> whatever you want to do with it, you know, will definitely go forward. But it doesn't seem to be the case because um, awareness of the mass population or like the, the KOLs at least is very important to, to, I think, drive the adoption forward.
0: Awesome. No, it definitely makes sense. And I, I'm, I'm curious that this actual process itself, are you guys doing the sequencing process and are at least how involved are you in that? And are you using other labs? Are you using your own equipment? Yeah. How much are you involved?
1: Right. So Knowledge Genetics doesn't actually own uh, their own clinical labs what we do is we empower other labs in multiple countries and multiple markets to run their own pharmacogenomics module. Um, What that means is that um, knowledge genetics has capabilities in design and development of genetic testing, creating the software, uh, managing, you know, even consents uh, and patient information on the cloud software. Um, But we, we kind of, I um, uh, like to say that we run a decentralized lab operation system. We want to make sure that we were able to kind of navigate multiple markets um, efficiently rather than having to build a lab in, in every single market. Because I think when you look at the U.S. and you, the market is so big that building a genetic test lab um, incredibly makes sense, right? Economies of scale kind of you know, allows it and so on and so forth, but in, in Southeast Asia, where the market is so fragmented, um, you know, sending a a lab sample from Singapore to Indonesia or Indonesia to Singapore, more likely, it's just going to be, it's just going to be really hard. And, um, with a trend right now, and I think, you know, it's, it's going to be even harder. And, um, the, the, the cost is kind of, uh, it's very different, right? Because if you, um, operate with a manpower cost of Singapore, but you're selling it to, you know, Indonesian willingness to pay market, it just doesn't match, right? So a lot of the tweaking that you have to do or we have to do um, is really, um, the approach ended up being, uh, let's focus on the product and making it as easy as possible for all the labs that wanted to adopt genetic testing um, to be able to do that. And so uh, Knowledge Genetics focuses a lot on, on the R&D and the product side rather than the servicing um, by opening labs in multiple markets.
0: Awesome. And it's, is it? do you guys also provide the sampling kits as well or is that on behalf of the lab?
1: Yeah, so when a lab works with Knowledge Genetics, um, usually they get a, a starter kit is what we call it. So if uh, we, there's a machine, usually we work with labs that already have the machines called a qPCR machine, uh, which is the same machine that you would run for for actually COVID-19 tests. So that's been great. Um, and then they would get a genetic test kit and which is basically like strip tubes that they can pipe it into the plates that they run on these machines. Uh, they also get the sample collection kits for however many that they want to like kind of Uh, subscribe for, and they also get access to the software. And finally, also, I think uh, what we realized to be very important is the training and troubleshooting. So yeah, we can give them all the starter kit, but a lot of these labs are kind of, the, the first step kind of going into genetics. So for example, these labs traditionally only run microbiology tests and, you know, cartridge testing for different types of like viral infections and stuff like that. But human genetics might be something that is new to them. So then pharmacogenomics is a great first use case for them to explore because it's very easy to kind of, um, the, the science or 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 the technology is pretty much the same. It's easy for us to kind of educate the doctors because of the actionability that I was telling you about. It's very clear that, you know, if you can't take drug A, take the other drug, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like a, like cancer, you know, genetic testing, that's very, very complicated. Um, and then, uh, so, so yeah, so training becomes like a very important issue of, of that starter kit as well.
0: Interesting. So it's really, you. the entire process, when you talk end-to-end, it's, you're, you're providing not only a kit to just analyze the samples, it is the sample kit, it is the software to analyze results of the samples, it is also the engagement tool and the interface for the patients and the physician and the lab, so it's everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and we're able to only do that because, again, we focused on one thing, which yeah. is pharmacogenetics. If we were to do this, plus cancer, plus cardiovascular, plus you know, all the, yeah, it's like, it's impossible. But pharmacogenomics is, is, is definitely a unique market and it allows us to be able to get this approach of a very specific and per use case, but, but also very broad in terms of the services that we provide, uh, which has been helpful. So um, in terms of like helping these labs like set up workflows for COVID-19, for example, it was the exact same Um, kind of approach right it's well we'll offer you everything um, and you become our partner in kind of running a COVID-19 test Um, but it's the same thing we offer you the software we offer you the reagents we offer you the consumables and we train the manpower such that you can run by yourself Uh, but but we you know but um, we have that relationship of being able to kind of uh, run a lab together or we're kind of your empowered uh, partner to do to do so
0: Awesome. Really cool. Um, do you, I'm curious though, for the, what are the type of samples that you're collecting? Is it hard to, uh, to manage those samples and, and especially transportation in places like Southeast Asia? And yeah. is does that ever, is, that is, it, is it just challenging for a lot of your lab partners to work with or they already have a good understanding of how to manage that process themselves?
1: Yeah, so that's a great part about, you know, um, not not having our own service lab is that we we don't have to deal with that issue, mm-hmm. the logistics issue, because we work with hospitals and labs who have a pool of patients already going in. And, um, you know, pharmacogenomics is, is, yeah, a test that you can definitely take, you know, at home. But generally, it always is introduced by your caretaker, your medical professional, um, your care manager, right? So uh, the entry point is the hospital. The entry point is the outpatient clinic. So working with hospitals and labs kind of makes sense because um, the the patient is already there oftentimes. Uh, But in other situations where we're trying to kind of like educate the patients directly, and they are able to kind of send the samples in, it's actually very easy to get the buccal swab sample. So that's what we use. We use buccal swab, um, which is like a, a giant cotton bud that you kind of swipe into the sides of your cheek. cheek. Um, and, then, uh, and then you can just like mail it into the lab and the lab will run it to you and the report will be sent to you in PDFs. And so and uh, our, our lab port, uh, in our um, patient portal. So that's, that's, um, that's super convenient. Uh, with COVID-19, I think like things change a little bit, like a lot of people preferred blood, you know, the labs prefer blood because they don't want to deal with, you know, the the, the samples um, and the possibility of getting infected. But, and then the leprosy idea or project was using blood samples as well. So we're kind of flexible in terms of the, the samples, as long as the labs do have a, proto- a protocol to do so. Um, so a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, these workflow where knowledge genetics kind of help is that we will help uh, tell them uh, how to validate these samples. So you know, maybe uh, our workflow right now, we tell the, the hospital systems, hey, you can actually uh, prefer, preferably you can run this with buccal swabs, but if they want to run it with blood, we will help them this design a study that shows if hey, the blood samples are just as good in all the genetics testing kits, um, and then tell them that actually you can use all these other samples as well. But at the end of the day, it's the jurisdiction of the lab to be able to work with whatever sample that they want to be using with.
0: Cool." And do you guys also can you use uh, a pre-existing genetic reports as well that someone may have already done with another lab service or company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So our clinical decision support system is a also is, uh, sold as a standalone like additional product. So labs who are interested uh, already have sort of microarray solutions or next generation sequencing solutions um, have asked to work with us to. Uh, get the annotation platform or the clinical decision support system so they can add use cases to the existing data that they have um uh although patients are not able to directly ask for for, from us to to do these things because we're not a group of doctors we're not a lab it still is within the the lab's jurisdiction if they feel like this is a useful case for for a lot of their patients and existing like um clients it is a great way to kind of increase the the uh kind of your Uh, bang for the buck, right? Like you already generated all these data sets. Now what, what else can you tell about Mm. a person's genome? And our software is able to do that.
0: Cool. And, and the, you are testing of what seems like a specific set of genes and how that relates to a handful of, I guess, a common set of drugs. Can you explain these handful of genes that you're focused on right now and how that might relate and those those drugs that you're trying to associate with and why that might be important.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, one of the first, um, so, so I think like there's a, a couple of genetic testing companies also in the US and other places that try to develop their own genetic panel, right? So the, the question is like, how, how do you think of, uh, what biomarkers do you wanna put in this panel? Um, how big the panel would be? Uh, what indications or intended of use does this panel have? Um, for, for us, when we looked at, uh, once we decided that we wanted to work on pharmacogenomics, um, we created a systematic approach on choosing biomarkers. Um, we didn't, what, what companies, what we've seen companies do is that they gather expert opinions so they gather a bunch of doctors and you know uh, maybe KOL, sit around and kind of look at the review of these biomarkers and pick which ones they think are the best to do so. Um, being a young company and young you know like m- myself and knowing that maybe the approach for these KOLs may not exist in Southeast Asian markets because it is a new field maybe like the KOL are, are, are not as immersed in this field as much as the US or the UK. We um, instead believed in the fact that as long as the biomarkers have um, guidelines by um, pharmacogenomics consortia, they are endorsed by the FDA, they have, you know, um, a frequency in the population that guarantees for it to be useful, uh, so not too rare and also the fact that it's relevant for the certain markets that we work with. We kind of score it based on that different you know, factors among many others. Um, and then the ones that are at the top, then we include it in the panel. So it's a, an objective approach. Uh, we, we kind of don't put our, our own uh, you know, subjective opinions on it, however, you know, however tempting that may be at the, at the end of the day. Um, and then also after that, um, what we came up with is basically genes, pharmacokinetic and pharmacotransporter genes that are important for um, the standard um, uh, drugs that are prescribed in cardiovascular, um, psychiatry, and outpatient. So outpatient includes pain, uh, lifestyle medications like gout, and some others. So, so that's the three panels that we have. We have cardiovascular, we have psychiatry, and outpatient, um, and it was derived from you know, that algorithm that we created uh, sort of, you know, scoring all the biomarkers out there. And then we also did a lot of interviews with doctors uh, just to see how, what are the drugs that make sense to kind of be lumped together versus drugs that need to be separate. So to the extent that, you know, maybe epilepsy and cardiovascular drugs um, might be, might make sense to so actually couple together in stroke patients, they have a lot of seizures. So sometimes the doctor wanna actually have these two drugs together in a panel. Uh, versus, you know, cardiovascular drugs and schizophrenic drugs. It's very, although there are some overlap, it's not as common. So these type of things we can only understand if we talk to doctors. And so that's sort of the last stage of how we created those panels. Um, But yeah, those are generally like how we, how we created it. And okay, one last point about this is also, um, I I think that the approach of, um, uh, you know, it, more more drugs are definitely better than less um, uh, or, or more biomarker are definitely better than less. But I think um, with the, in, in our perspective, it's like that, right? Like for sci- scientists and uh, companies, data is always king. But to the doctors, it's not always like that. You know, sometimes if you read things that they don't don't necessarily want to know, they don't want to see it as a liability or a responsibility for them to be able to take care of their patients based on information that they didn't even ask for. So that that remains sort of a counterbalance. And so rather than going all the way and kind of reading all the important genes um, or every single gene out there, um, the doctors and what they, they think is useful right then and there is a very important aspect and that drives a lot of adoption as well. Um, so then they don't have to deal with liabilities. And the second part obviously is cost. So the more genes that you read sometimes, you know, you, you definitely will be more expensive rather than our approach, which is very targeted, um, only is focusing on uh, drugs and biomarkers that are, that are a lot more impactful than, than a lot of a lot others if you were to read every single thing under the sun.
0: Interesting. And how did you find the relationship between these drugs and these specific genes? Where did you build that data set?
1: Yeah, um, so uh, there's a lot of public information already related to pharmacogenomics. It's um, it's not a new field at, at all, so it's been around for a long time since, again, the human genome was first um, sequenced. I think pharmacogenomics was one of the most exciting promises uh, that people have in the field. Um, and then, and so we curate those databases, um, scientific databases. We also curated a lot of um, uh, publications that validate those biomarkers in our population, Southeast Asia and Asian population. So we have a collection of thousands of papers that may not uh, be uh, you know, looked into by the US when the FDA makes a recommendation, for example, but it's very important to show validation in, in, in local doctors to show that, hey, this biomarker has been proven to be effective or frequent enough that is relevant to your practice. Um, And then um, there's also guidelines from Pharmacogenomics Consortia, um, uh, like CPIC or DPWG from from Dutch, um, and then some other bodies that we've identified to be important, like PMDA from Japan and some others, and so they all have their guidelines. So I guess like the the bottom line is that there's a lot of public information. Um, I think for the doctors to kind of use pharmacogenomics, um, cost is definitely the issue. So designing the panel was one, but the second one is kind of summarizing all that information into digestible formats for the doctors. And so knowing which information trumps the other, because sometimes it it kind of contradicts with each other. Um, and then uh, summarizing the information into something that they can use for daily practice because they make decisions in a split second, right? So they don't have time to read 40 different papers for just one recommendation. You know, stuff like this is um, a lot of what our clinical decision support can do. Gotcha.
0: And so a um, lot of times if, if when these tests are done, uh, if a specific gene might be present that you know is probably shouldn't be mixed with a drug, whether it's one of those three categories you talked about, outpatient, cardiovascular, et cetera, that uh, it's a doctor on their end, their interface is don't administer this, here's alternatives. Here's Yeah, In a short yeah.
1: exactly. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there's five different actions, you know, take it, don't take it, increase dose, lower dose or increase monitoring. So it's very easy for the doctors to use. Um, but on that note, also, I think a lot of the biomarkers that are um, included right now is um, from public databases still lacks in evidence in, in, in our population. So, um, uh, you know, in Southeast Asia, obviously, not, not, not a lot of grants, you know, going around like studying pharmacogenomics yet. Uh, hopefully, it will be. But um, the idea why NALA genetics, I think, approach to solving this this problem as well is to uh, that patient engagement side, right? So then when you administer this recommendation to the patient, um, we hope to get real world evidence to show that, well, when you're this type of genotype and you're this type of um, drug combination and you have this type of diagnosis, um, the success rate of that combination is 70% for remission for example. So then um, that type of data set is probably not something that you can do clinical trials for because it's super expensive. Uh, But over time, as more and more people use the genetic test, input their data, and um, will be able to kind of generate more evidence, it can drive adoption. So it creates this flywheel effect to also uh, sustainably kind of validate biomarkers over time.
0: Mm. Interesting. And and you you kind of may have already touched on it a little bit already, but why is it important for providers to uh, ask or require some of their patients to take these genetic tests before they give a medication and and at a a provider looking at it from a high level versus you know I individually for the patient better care yes but um, what is the what are the consequences if they they don't use your solution um, and they are giving patients medication without uh, having details on genetics?
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, so, so pr- traditionally, when when pharmacogenomics wasn't here, what people have been doing for um, figuring out the right medication for their patients um, is 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 trial and error, um, and trial and error can you know can can work uh, for, for some. Uh, medications, but in some situations it may lead to severe effects like adverse drug reactions, like the one for leprosy that I told you about. For cardiovascular, you know, you get rehospitalized a lot because the drug is too thick, too thin, you know, um, related to which uh, metabolizer profile that you have or related to psychiatry. You might get patients who um, will have to try you know seven different combinations of drugs to just get to the right point and that takes a lot of money a lot of time and sometimes it makes the patients worse over time um so these type of effects um definitely you know fall under the category of better patient care um but if i was you know a hospital and i put myself in that in those shoes um in asia you know there was a survey that basically says why hospitals adopt um Adopt new technologies. And it really is to, you know, a lot of it is really the, the novelty aspect. Unfortunately, that's how they look at it. Uh, so, so novelty aspect is important. I think because it's so new, um, a lot of when we talk to hospitals, it, we kind of tell them that we're going to be partners in pioneering this, this practice in Southeast Asia. Um, for example, one of our partners in Singapore, um, one of the hospital chains there, they're the first one to actually integrate pharmacogenomics information into their electronic health record system with us. Um, and and it, was, it was because they were interested to to be pioneers in the field and also publish together in terms of what data they can find in the Singaporean population, for example. And so that type of collaboration we're very open to have. Um, so, so kind of up, uh, alleviating your brand image, but also... Um, but also kind of uh, uh, showing that you, the standard, the best practice for, for what medication and care should be. Uh, but also the second point is um, in relation to, to payers systems. Um, a lot of it, if, uh, you know, as more and more markets kind of, you know, invest more in private insurance and insurance overall, um, pharmacogenomics is a great way to increase quality of care and reduce cost So it's a very cost effective way to kind of uh, get better patient outcomes. Uh, But because you're kind of testing everyone in the beginning, the cost ends ends up a lot cheaper rather than having to pay for rehospitalizations for a select few. Um, So um, that type of calculations usually are encouraged by payers and payers generally uh, dominate a lot of the private hospitals that we usually work with. And so um, it may be a good approach for them to kind of consider that that collaboration with payers as well. and then uh, finally, um, is to um, kind of keep their doctors in in house. I feel like, uh, you know, hospitals, doctors kind of reign, right, in in, in Southeast Asia because they have less. Uh, th- th- there's so much less doctors, so we need a lot more doctors, definitely. So um, as a CEO of a of a healthcare provider, one of their mandates is to keep their doctors happy, and so um, uh, you know. Being able to participate in this type of research and new technologies, there's definitely a way what we've seen as doctors are very interested to kind of try out in their patient population, being able to kind of um, being able to kind of make the standard practice and, and also um, you know, work with knowledge genetics on, on developing that expertise within that healthcare system conducting trainings in genetics and um, discussing use cases together. All these are things that, that I think doctors are very much looking forward to because genetics is not something that is commonly taught in medical school.
0: Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, do you have a hard stop in uh, five minutes or can we go a little bit over?
1: A little bit over is fine.
0: Okay. Because I have a couple of que- I won't go through all the questions, but I have a couple more that I think are important to ask. Um, where, who is, I guess, the, the kind of going back to a lot of things, you, you, might have alluded, you may have alluded to it, but how are these tests administered? Is it Who initiates this? Is this the physician itself? Are these the labs? So this is from a government level? Who, who, yeah. Who's initiating this and who's paying for it? I mean, payers are, but how does that process work?
1: Yeah, so a lot of the patients that we get actually are referred to by doctors. So the doctors need to um, uh, identify that a patient would benefit from, for a pharmacogenomics test after that. And the reason for that is because the recommendation that we give is very focused on what drugs a patient can and cannot take. And a lot of these drugs are you know, hard drugs, like they need to be prescribed by a doctor. So as much as um, you know, other testing companies might be offering this direct to consumer, I think it's very important to include the doctor in the conversation. So, even if a patient reaches out to us directly, uh, we would still try to connect them with a doctor in one of our healthcare panels, healthcare provider panels, um, and kind of try to connect them uh, through that, or we work with their doctors after we give them the test. Um, so say, okay, so you get a doctor and the doctor kind of believes that you're, you're important. You have to agree. There is a consent form um, to know that, you know, your risk and benefit of taking a genetic test. Uh, you get swabbed. The swab is given to the lab. Um, and the, the one who pays is the patient. Um, uh, generally, if they're not insured, uh, but, uh, but if you are insured, then usually the insurance would cover it for you and we will we'll be able to kind of uh, work with them to, to get their reimbursements out. Um, but yeah, generally it's, it's mostly, it's still patient, uh, paying out of pocket rather than insurance companies because it's quite new as well for insurance companies here. Interesting. But we're working on it.
0: Yeah. Do you actually, I feel as though there might be a lot of overlap with clinical trials. Do you guys end up blending within that space as well?
1: Yeah. Um, so clinical trials, uh, it's interesting because I guess there's two ways where, where pharmacogenomics kind of play a part in pharma in general. Um, we do do our own kind of trials, uh, they're real world evidence trials that I mentioned to you about. So we kind of give out the test and kind of follow up the test, uh, the, the patients who are tested, and see how much improvements uh, compared to, you know, um, the control population um, or, or uh, you know, historical data. but. Uh, in terms of clinical trials uh, with pharmaceutical companies, um, the, the pharmacogenomics can play early, you know, in, 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 in I guess like cancer trials, you'll try to uh, see whether or not the biomarkers uh, or, or effectiveness in different populations usually are highly dependent on whether or not the cancer respond to the type of mutation or have a certain type of mutation that the drug can target. So pharmacogenomics is very important for that and that's called companion diagnostics. Um, however, pharmacogenomics can also play a lot of part in phase four clinical trials, uh, where you're kind of the goal of phase four clinical trials is that well you're already um, uh, out in the field, but um, you need to you need to continuously monitor like who actually gets um, adverse drug reactions or injuries, and sometimes one of the reasons why you know uh, these are caused for certain drugs is because of the genetic makeup of. Um, of people. And sometimes because the clinical trial um, wasn't diverse enough or couldn't really or, or, or saw you know some adverse drug reactions but not a lot in that patient population, you can only see this type of effect after the drug is being used for a lot of people. And that's where phase four clinical trials kind of come in. Um, but in general, um, I think trials are um, you know collaborating for with pharmaceutical companies um, can can be generally fall under those two buckets. Uh, But we also do our own trials to uh, show efficacy of the biomarkers when we're selling our diagnostics um, as well.
0: Gotcha. Mm. Okay. And uh, one of the things I wanted to highlight, which I thought, which is why your company was unique, was the, the workflows that you added beyond just the sequencing services. So you, you know, you're giving both physicians and patients a mobile platform or just a platform to be able to view results. You have genetic counselors or you can connect people with just counselors that can help them understand the information that they have. Uh, you can, you actually provide a tool that can track medication usage and remind users to not only take it, but report side effects, et cetera. Um, a lot of cool stuff. Did you wanna talk any about some of those features that you have and just highlight them at all?
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, I, I, can, I can tell them, I guess, in particularly for this one use case, uh, for tamoxifen, um, which is what we're um, advocating a lot with one of our um, key opinion leaders in Indonesia. Um, it's for, for this gene called CYP2D6, um, being able to um, tell whether or not a, a women with uh, premenopausal women to actually take either uh, for adjuvant therapy. So there's a couple of classes that you can choose from, either it's aromatase inhibitors or tamoxifen or hormone. Um, uh, controllers, right? So um, if you are a poor metabolizer, you'll be able to kind of, uh, you are recommended to take aromatase inhibitors um, in a, basically a different class of drug. So what the platform has been able to do for uh, these set of doctors that we're working with is number one, identify which sets of patients actually um, uh, qualify for testing. So we'll help them back through those. Um, And then after that, uh, obviously, the genetic testing portion. Um, And then after that, also the the report that they get is particularly to uh, see, you know, that decision, whether or not you need to uh, take a different class of drug or take the drug that is you know generally for the population, and then uh, these when when the patient actually are given the the report, the report has a QR code that they can scan, and then this this uh, that that would lead them to our mobile app, and the mobile app will help them in uh, a few things. Um, number one is to remind their medications, um, get educated on you know what other things are important to to know about you know the drug and maintaining that. Uh, you know, chronic medication. Um, so things like, you know, different lifestyle, you know, choices that might may help and um, questions that we can help answer through newsletter formats. Um, there's also uh, medical history. So then over time, we actually submitted another study to follow these patients for another three years. Uh, to kind of see, to kind of track like the different um, remission or relapse for breast cancer, because that's the whole point of, you know, taking this drug is so you don't rel- relapse to have another breast cancer uh, recurrence. Um, and then there's also um, uh, the feature of the app also allows them to uh, share information to um, other doctors if they, if they see it's important. Uh, so the genetic testing, um, their genetic test report can be used forever in their lives, right? So maybe they'll see, um, you know, if they have certain comorbidities in the future or they're seeing other doctors, they can always show uh, this report to other doctors and say, Hey, these are the drugs that are actually um, um, compatible for me. And the app will be able to facilitate with that. And in addition to all of that, we kind of have a patient care manager at the back end, So anytime they have questions about their drugs, sometimes the side effects of tamoxifen is, is, you know, it's bleeding, um, and also um, vomiting, you know, hot flushes, you know, sometimes patients have questions with that. And we will be able to help the doctors answer those questions um, uh, uh, as well. And so it's kind of an extension for the doctors. So they don't have to explain every single thing about their DNA test every single time. Uh, so yeah, so those are some of the features that the patients I feel like find very helpful in the in the mobile app.
0: That's awesome. Well, I, I thank you for dry, like going through a, a specific use case. I think that helps uh, uh, help a lot of people understand some of those features. But um, I, I know we're a little bit over time, so I want to be respectful of your time. And I'll, I'll quickly jump to the last final questions that I had for you. But I'm curious, what, what do you think is the future of genetic services? And what do you see that most people don't?
1: Oh, no. Um... <laughs> Uh, it's a very loaded question Uh, genetics I I think there's a lot of interest in uh, genetic editing transcriptomics or like general omics um, where genetics is just one pillar of so many things that you can learn about yourself right? so I think previously genetics was sought after as the silver bullet you know, because remember, the Time Magazine covered. Oh, we have figured out the human genome. You know, like we have figured out the blueprint of the humans. But um, we know so little about the about how what DNA is. And people have looked into epigenetics. You know, uh, proteomics and transcriptomics. There's so many different angles to kind of understand uh, what uh, a certain disease would do. Um, I think why we, you know, we, I think, you know, uh, for in genetic editing, obviously is very exciting, like CRISPR, cas 9 all that type of stuff. Um, but I think what, what is important for us to kind of advocate in the genetic testing space in Southeast Asia is that uh, the cooler, the technology doesn't mean the bigger impact. Uh, it's the level of diversity in genetics, um, research overall and implementation is is worrisome. Like most of them are based in Caucasian populations and developed in, in developed countries, right? Because they have the money, they have the grants to actually um, um, advocate for these these like research for for uh, for for um, the scientific community. But um, so for us, it was very important to um, not only look into what makes the most money, but also um, how do we create a business model in a company that solves local problems and at the same time become an integral part of uh, making that population understand genetics and understand or, or build capabilities to um, uh, use these tools for the, their mass population. Um, so the more that I feel like we are alleviating sort of like the whole overall industry in this particular region, I think the, the more helpful and the more impact we could do. Um, uh, and obviously if I was going to start, like, you know, uh, the coolest genetic company, like I wouldn't, <laughs> you would, you would probably be based in Boston, you know, working on a, you know, a very, uh, you know, new drug, uh, target or something like that. So, um, it was important for us. So I think that the insight that I've gotten um, is really because uh, we, we are based in, in Southeast Asia and we learn about local problems and we wanted to uh, kind of alleviate problems that, that, uh, that this region kind of has compared to maybe the most important problems that the developed countries might be looking into right now.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's, especially within the genetic space, it it definitely seems like there's a a huge gap, which outside of what is mapped in developed countries versus other locations like, uh, you know, across APAC. Um, And uh, there's a huge gap in research as well between those two. And so it's, it's interesting. And it's exciting to see that you're at the forefront of that. Um, I know we're way over time here, but I, I really appreciate you doing this. And this is, um, this is fantastic. Before I close out, uh, Lavana, is there any closing remarks that you wanted to make? Any ask that you have for the audience?
1: No, yeah. Um, we're always looking for people to partner with either a hospital system, payer systems, or, um, um, or, or even doctors and in the, in the field. So uh, feel free to, you know, obviously reach out to us to, to partner and um, both in research and commercial. So thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And like I said, for the, for the audience, uh, there's a, the genetics ecosystem is vast and we looked at well over 200 companies and we think knowledge genetics is one of the top companies globally because of the the unique approach that you guys have and the things that you're doing within this space and the ecosystem that you've built and all the product features you have. It's really impressive. And so thank you for taking the time to do this and sharing with everybody a lot more about uh, knowledge genetics. I really appreciate it.
1: No, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much.